Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. I'm Sandman, and I'll be your host for the next two hours. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Well, it's a very cold Monday night, March the 3rd, 2014, here in Nashville, Tennessee. The minute, uh, Right now, as I'm recording this, it's like 20-something degrees outside, and it's freaking cold. Well, you're going to hear a little squeaky here as I adjust my microphone stand. There we go. All right. So, tonight's show isn't exactly about the paranormal. Every so often, I'll make a departure from paranormal topics, and I'll talk about something that's a little different, and tonight is one of those nights. As fans of the show... You'll know that I love a good mystery, especially one that has to do with things like government cover-ups, deadly diseases, escaping from labs, and the Dr. Frankenstein-like creation of some as-of-yet-unknown-exactly-what-it-is monster. Yes, everything that I just mentioned can all be traced back to a little island right off of the east coast of Connecticut. This place is called... Plum Island, and this is its story. Well, before I get into its story, I'm going to have to tell you, as I always do, how you can get in touch with me, because as you know, there are a few different ways that you can go about doing this. First of all, you can send an email to sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can just visit my website, which is, of course, www.parareality.com. I'm also available on Facebook. Just look for Sandman.parareality there on Facebook. And finally, you can always call the studio line at 615-692-1170 and leave a message. Now, just be aware that I may play your comment back on the show 
uh, I may also answer the phone as well because I'm always in the studio working and you just may catch me there. So you never know when I'm going to be in the studio working on the show or doing something with the website or, or something of that nature. So you may call and intending on leaving me a message and I may actually answer the phone. So you may actually get a chance to talk to me. Now, speaking of the studio line, and that number to call is area code 615-692-1170. That's 615-692-1170. Speaking of the studio lines, I've finally got a message on the studio line, and uh, I'm going to be talking about this later on at the end of the show. But uh, just keep in mind that I finally got a message, and it's not really exactly what you may think it would be. So I'm going to play that back later on towards the end of the program here and let you uh, let you listen to it and we'll talk about it have a little discussion so those are the ways that you can get in touch with me sandman at parareality is my email if you want to send me an email comment about the show topic idea that you want to hear discussed uh, guests request if you got a story that you want to tell if you want to be a make a guest appearance on the show let me know. Uh, I'm always looking for guests for the show, and I kind of specialize in people who are average, normal, ordinary, everyday people who've had some sort of paranormal experience and wants to tell their story. You don't have to be some famous person trying to um, you know, boost sales for your latest book, DVD, documentary, whatever. Uh, I like to talk to everyday, normal people, ordinary people just like me who've had some sort of experience and they would like to talk about it. I think it's uh, kind of cathartic, kind of uh, like therapy to uh, to talk to someone about stuff like this, especially someone who's kind of faceless that you don't really actually have to meet. I mean, you can come to the studio if you want, but we can do it over the phone too. So if you want to tell your story, get in touch with me, Sandman at Parareality. Dot com. Also, look me up on Facebook if you got Facebook like everybody else does. That's Sandman.Parareality on Facebook. So those are all the different ways that you are able to get in touch with me. Okay, so that's the first part, the little rigmarole that I always have to go through. So let's just talk about the horrors of Plum Island for a little while, shall we? Lurking in the dark waters of Long Island Sound is a mysterious place known as Plum Island. It's just 10 miles off the coast of Connecticut, and it's a tiny speck of land that's long been rumored to be the epicenter of top-secret biowarfare research. The U.S. government acknowledges that the island is home to some sort of scientific facility. Its stated purpose is to study animal-borne diseases. But investigators are beginning to uncover startling new facts about this forbidding place. Insiders and ex-employees have come forward to tell their stories. From security breaches in germ labs to escape diseases and potential mass epidemics, tonight I'm going to tell you the real Plum Island story. Now the government denies that anything is actually wrong over on Plum Island. Although the origins of Plum Island are shrouded in secrecy, Investigations have revealed the startling fact that in the 1950s, the lab was run by a German scientist named Eric Traub, 
who was brought to America after the Second World War. Now, he was a Nazi, and his specialty in the Third Reich was, get this, virus and vaccine research. Along with rocket scientists like Werner von Braun, Traub was spirited out of post-war Germany to help jumpstart the Cold War against the Soviet Union. The well-documented U.S. government project to recruit German scientists and technicians was known as Operation Paperclip. President Truman approved the project so long as only nominal Nazi party members without SS affiliation were recruited. However, because the Nazi party promoted so many or promoted so many of its uh, top scientists, Operation Paperclip ended up whitewashing the past of many of these recruits in order to get them into the U.S. So, you know, you had a, a, a secret government operation, Paperclip, that was approved by the president, who said, we don't want to bring any heavy-duty Nazis, especially not any with the SS affiliation, so just get some of these fringe Nazis. So the government basically did a cover-up for the government or because of the government. I, it's it's all convoluted, especially when you start talking about the government and secret operations and conspiracies and all this. So basically the government, one half of it lied to the other and whitewashed the backgrounds of these Nazi... It, it just gets so complicated. But basically what happened was, like I said, one half of the government lied to the other half of the government and did some stuff that they weren't supposed to. Anyway, I digress. So we're talking about Eric Traub here. And Traub's expertise was in disease-carrying insects specifically. In particular, the common tick. Now, ticks are often carried aloft by birds and therefore can quickly spread over large swaths of territory. Called vectors, these ticks and mosquitoes are also genetically similar. Both contain bacteriophages, or plasmids, that transfer genetic material into a cell or from one bacterium to another. In other words, they can infect whatever host animal with which they come into contact. Multiply this by millions, and ticks become the perfect insect army. During the Cold War, both the Soviets and the Americans searched for ways to cripple each other short of a doomsday nuclear attack. One idea was to destroy Russia's food supply. This is where Traub's tick army came into play. If the bugs could be injected with lethal pathogens and somehow released over the Soviet Union, we could literally starve our mortal enemy to death. Now, it's well documented that Traub was using Plum Island for this specific research. In November 1957, U.S. military intelligence explored the elimination of the food supply of the Soviet bloc, right down to determining the calories required for every victory. And this is a snippet from a, uh, a report that was filed. And, and I'm going to be quoting directly from here, and this is what it says. Okay, so here we go. It says, well, i got to pull it up here. It says, in order to have a crippling effect on the economy of the USSR 
the food and animal crop resources of the USSR would have to be damaged within a single growing season to the extent necessary to reduce the present average daily caloric intake from 2,800 calories to 1,400 calories, i.e. the starvation level. Reduction of food resources to this level, if maintained for 12 months, would produce 20% fatalities and would decrease manual labor performance by 95% and clerical and light labor performance by 80%. Uh, That's some heavy-duty research looking into something like that right there. Can you believe that we were actually, you know, going to those lengths to defeat our enemy? I mean, the way that we do things today and the way that we're doing things back then, obviously totally different. So you can't, I can't imagine our government doing something like that today because, I mean, let's just face it, America as a society, especially our government, is turning into a bunch of pussies. And this right here, this was some real hardcore, let's freaking clandestinely destroy our enemy shit right here that I don't think that we're capable of anymore. Anyway, I digress. So, attempts to obtain records about Trapp's past and his possible connection to the Third Reich war crimes have been regularly rebuffed by Army intelligence and the CIA. Trapp denied, excuse me, Trapp died in Germany at the age of 78, so he lived a nice, long life. Hit the mic stand there, sorry. So, Trapp regularly experimented with injecting dangerous pathogens into insects. That was his specialty. The Joint Chiefs of Staff authorized this and similar research in 1952. Now, there were some dusty files that were found that were labeled Tick Research in the National Archives that revealed this following quote. Vigorous, well-planned, large-scale biological warfare tests with results to the Secretary of Defense, steps should be taken to make certain adequate facilities are available, including those at Fort Detrick, Dungway Proving Grounds, Fort Terry, which is also Plum Island, and an island field testing area. Very interesting. Now, you skip ahead to November 1957, or should I say you jumped to November 1957, the Joint Chiefs also advised that, quote, research on anti-animal agent munition combinations should continue as well as field testing of anti-food agent munition combinations, end quote. Whatever in the hell that means. So basically it means that they should continue to work on injecting ticks and other insects with biologic agents to destroy or defeat our enemy. So you go from 1957 and you jump all the way into the mid-1970s. There's a mysterious disease that broke out in the area around the the town of Old... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah... Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Lime, Connecticut. This severely debilitating syndrome was given the name Lyme disease. Go figure, right? Because of the location. At first, doctors were mystified as to why the disease was clustered around this particular town. To this day, some medical authorities question whether the disease isn't partly psychosomatic, but its victims know differently. Lyme disease is marked by powerful fatigue, muscle aches, the inability to focus, and in some cases almost total incapacity. After cases mushroomed throughout the Northeast, it was finally investigated seriously. Health researchers determined that Lyme disease had only one cause, deer ticks. Now, it just maybe is a coincidence that the town of Old Lyme, Connecticut, is very close, not too far from, you guessed it, Plum Island. It's on the East Coast. It's not that far from Plum Island. And here on Plum Island, you had a Nazi scientist whose specialty was injecting ticks with biologic agents to cause sickness and disease. It's not too much of a stretch to think that Lyme disease could have possibly just possibly originated from Plum Island and somehow either deliberately or accidentally escaped the island. In the 80s, scientists were able to isolate the infectious bacteria carried by the ticks. It was named Borella burgafordri after the Australian biochemist who made the initial breakthrough. Modern gene sequencing techniques cracked the code of Borella. In fact, it was, the, it was only the third microbial gene ever sequenced, which came after uh, influenza and some sort of rare form of gentle herpes, which I don't know what that is. Now, when the data came in, it rocked the scientific world. Borella burgafordri turned out to be the single most complex bacterium known to man. Nothing like it had ever been seen before, and as time went on, other subsidiary diseases were discovered to go hand-in-hand with Lyme disease. These include chronic schizophrenia, psychosis, severe osteoarthritis, lupus, some kind of bladder problems, bipolar delusions, vertigo, encephalitis, infection of the brain stem, just to name a handful, and there are actually many others. Some researchers believe that multiple sclerosis is also a cofactor of Lyme disease. Now, this leads us back to Eric Traub, the German scientist who participated in research at Plum Island. Once they had the genetic footprint of the Lyme disease germ, researchers began to comb through disease cluster histories, and it didn't make sense that Lyme would suddenly emerge seemingly out of nowhere in one town in rural Connecticut. Some of these investigators believe they found traces of Borella in preserved insect and animal samples 
taken from nearby Shelter Island as well as Long Island. The samples dated back from the late 1940s to the early 1950s, which just so happened to be the time frame in which Eric Traub was infecting ticks on Plum Island. We're getting a bunch of circumstantial evidence here, aren't we? People who place blame on Plum Island for Lyme disease clearly demonstrate that infected ticks from Plum Island could have easily been transported to the mainland via hundreds of different birds that would nest there. Very easy to picture that in your mind. After all, you do have an island that's 10 miles off the coast. You're going to have birds that are going to be flying Oh, my God, I'm so tired, flapping my wings. Look, there's an island. I'm going to land and I'm going to nest on there. It's a government facility. There's no one hunting them there. They don't have to worry about mankind, you know, killing them for fun or sport or food or whatever. They're pretty much protected there. And you can't keep birds from landing on the island unless you want to build a roof over the whole entire island and wall it in, too. So you're going to have birds that are going to be landing there and with ticks now ticks are they're all different kind of ticks and they're all different sizes and shapes and all that sorts of good stuff but if you've ever seen a deer tick man those things are small and it's very easy to imagine some deer ticks escaping maybe getting on someone's clothes or skin getting in some garbage or something making it outside you know, if, as long as there were no birds and and nothing coming or going from the island, as long as they were just on the island right there and there is no bond, no thing, no living creature going back and forth to the mainland, would probably be okay. Of course, by now that island would be a freaking deer tick, Lyme disease infected island. But still, you get my point, right? You understand what I'm saying. But you can't stop animals, this birds especially. You can't stop them from nesting there. And if you've got a few ticks, all it takes is just a few, maybe even one, to hop a ride, to get out of the lab somehow and hop a ride onto a bird. Ticks don't discriminate. Food is food, right? They're looking for blood. Everything's got blood. Every living mammal has blood. Don't discriminate, so all it would take would just be one or two or maybe even a handful. So it's very easy to imagine this happening. So is Lyme disease considered a biowarfare agent? Well, after years of denial that this was the case, a few years ago, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention admitted when opening Margaret Batts uh, Tumban Laboratory building in Texas, that facility would be used to study such diseases like anthrax, uh, cholera, and Lyme disease, and uh, desert valley fever, and other parasitic and fungal diseases. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, also known as the CDC, identified these diseases as potential bioterrorism agents. So after years of denying, after years and years of the government saying, oh, Lyme disease is not a biowarfare agent, a few years ago we are opening the Margaret Batts Home Laboratory building in Texas, 
And all of a sudden the CDC is like, uh, this could be a uh, potential biohazard. It could be a bioterrorism. So government going back on itself? Who knows? I say yes. The causative agent of Lyme disease, Borrelia burgdorferi, or capital B, little b, has been used in biowarfare studies before. During World War II, the time at which Eric Traub was around, remember, the infamous and murderous Japanese Unit 731 had used Borrelia burgdorferi in some of their barbaric studies. And this was according to uh, a scientist named Barclay Newman who uh, did uh, some research on Japanese Unit 731. If you don't know about Japanese Unit 731, you need to look it up. Brutal dudes, man. Brutal. Uh, so have the researchers at Plum Island actually ever done any experiments with tick-borne diseases? The answer to this, as you can probably guess, is an unequivocal yes. Numerous studies were done with tick diseases, and the published papers are available. I'm going to give you a list. It's just like a three or four here of some of the papers that are available, and I'm going to give you the title. Um, this first one is African Swine Fever Virus Multigene Family 360 Genes Affect Virus Replication and Generalization of Infection and Ornithorgy. Ornithodoros porcunus ticks. You know how I am with Latin words. God, it gets me every time. The second paper is Heartwater Disease of Domestic and Wild Ruminants. That one was easy. Uh, The third paper that can be found is called Experimental Transmissions of African Swine Fever Virus by the Tick Ornithodoros Porticonensis. Wow. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to spell that. Okay. It's O R N I T H O D O R O S P U E R T O R I C E N S I S. So what I would do instead of trying to pronounce all this crap like I'm trying to do and type all this in, if you would just type in a Google search to Tick diseases in the U.S. government or tick-borne diseases in U.S. government experimentation. You can find stuff like this. It's not that I would uh, enjoy reading. I don't think it was going to make anyone... Maybe it'll put you to sleep at night, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, gripping your seat, edge of the edge of the seat type suspense or anything like that. And, uh... Anyway, I I am digressing here, aren't I? Okay. Now, this is just a short list. However, this really doesn't prove that Lyme disease originated at Plum Island, but disease-infected ticks were certainly present there. That much we know, right? However, the deeper you look into this issue, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. Whether It's the shady beginnings with Nazi scientists or later the uh, Iraqi bio-warfare scientists that have worked there. The denials and secrecy of the facility. The fact that every land area around Plum Island is endemic 
for Lyme disease, and now Plum Island is requesting funds for upgrading the facility to a BSL-4 laboratory. Questions are abounding. And BSL-4 is biosafety lab level 4. I mean, it's like real heavy-duty, biological, nasty shit. Okay? Um, which, by the way, uh, that funding has been uh, has been denied once already, I think, within the last handful of years. But uh, the rumor is that um, they're going to uh, try to do this again. Um, and I'm going to address a little bit about something about this um, at the end of this segment here. But just keep keep that in mind, that they've already, they've already done it once, been denied, and they're probably going to do it again. They're, um, they've got some something else, some other trick up their sleeve that they're going to try. Though we may never know if indeed Lyme disease originated out of tick-borne and biowarfare research at Plum Island, questions need to be answered and maybe an investigation is warranted. Like I said, the circumstantial evidence just abounds. And, you know, in a court of law, people have been convicted on nothing other than circumstantial evidence. Now, albeit that can be wrong. Circumstantial evidence is just that. It's not hard evidence. It's just circumstantial. And it can be wrong. But usually, you know, the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. Two plus two is four. You know, um, you've got a Nazi scientist whose specialty was in insects and biologic agents who was snuck into the United States under Operation Paperclip, and then basically given his own biological warfare facility on an island. And then you have ticks that are infected, that he, his specialty was in ticks, remember, and then you have infected ticks showing up in Connecticut, which is just a few miles from Plum Island, just this mysterious disease just, bam, pops up. It's just too too much circumstantial evidence there. You know, too much circumstantial evidence. And you all know, if you've listened to this show for any period of time, I am not a big government conspiracy theorist. <clears throat> I do think that there are Lots of government conspiracy theories out there uh, that are true. Um, I think that the government does keep secrets. Uh, a lot of it is stuff that we don't need to know. And a lot of it, of course, is stuff that they don't want us to know. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, as long as there's government, there will be secrets, and there needs to be secrets. But unfortunately, there's also going to be conspiracy theories as well. And I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. However, I will have to say on this one particular incident, I am thoroughly convinced that Lyme disease is a product of our government's biological warfare um, experimentations that just happen to have, have gotten loose and gotten out. Um, so, yeah, I think that the government, you know, not, I would hate to say they deliberately did it, but the government has deliberately infected people with shit before and not told them. I would hate to say that they deliberately did it, um, but I think that the government did have a hand in it. However, the, the litany of official denials just keep coming. Dr. Roger Breeze was the director of the Plum Island Research Center in the 1990s. And Breeze has given several interviews claiming that the island poses absolutely no danger to civilians, animals, or the environment. However, a recent interview with Breeze revealed a startling slip of the tongue. While trying to explain the quote-unquote good work done at Plum Island, Breeze was vehemently denying the existence of biowarfare research. He repeated the official line that only animal diseases are studied. He flatly denied that Lyme disease originated on the island. He even claimed to have no knowledge of German scientist Eric Traub. But he did state that workers in the lab were where a hoof and mouth disease is studied actually inhale the virus in the course of a normal day. The deadly virus is trapped, according to the good doctor here, in the back of the throat. Breeze then made the astonishing admission that there has always been a Plum Island rule that workers inside the lab cannot visit a zoo or circus or even a pet store. Okay, so none of these people have pets at home? After Brees' amazing revelation, are we actually supposed to believe that we're safe from Plum Island's deadly germs? I mean, come on, man. Okay, so they only... He's denying that there's any harm, that there, there's any danger from Plum Island. But yet he says, oh, well, when the people uh, that research hoof and mouth disease are on the job, they, they inhale it. They don't have anything over their freaking mouth or their face. I mean, if, if you know that they are inhaling it and it's a deadly 
disease, even if it's not deadly to humans, it's still bad juju. Don't you think you should have some sort of filtration mask, a HEPA mask, um, N95 respiratory mask, biohazard suit, something, surgical mask on your face? I mean, if you know you're inhaling it, shouldn't you put something over your face? I mean, that just makes sense. So these people inhale hoof and mouth disease air. Yeah. And uh, they can't go to pet stores or a zoo or a circus. That's really weird. So is that like in the contract? Is, is, is that part of the, the policy? I mean, what does the policy manual for a place like that look at look like? You know, you got, do you have to read the fine print? Oh, and by the way, dot, dot, dot. You can't go to a circus, a zoo, or a pet store for the rest of your life. You know, well, what, what about these people that have kids? And the little kid is like, Mom, I want a puppy for Christmas. Dad, I want a kitten. Well, I'm sorry, son and or daughter. I cannot go to a pet store to buy your puppy. I can't go to, to the vet's office. If your puppy or kitten gets sick, I can't accompany you to the veterinarian's office. I can't go to the puppy mill and get a puppy. I can't go to the your local no-kill animal shelter and get a kitten for you. I'm sorry. I'm banned for that from my job. Okay, so, Mom, will you take me to go get said puppy and or kitten? Why, sure, son and or daughter. I will take you. So Mom takes them and brings the pet home, and now... Dad, who's got hoof and mouth disease, I guess, permanently stuck to the back of his freaking throat, is now around this this animal. I, I mean, come on, how can you, how can you enforce a rule like that, dude? I don't understand it. How how can you how can you tell someone they can't go here or there or the other place? I mean, it's it, it's it's America. We've got the freedom. To do that, our ancestors who fought in the Revolutionary War earned us that right. They gave us that right to be able to do that. So how can you have a job that says you can't go to take your kids to the zoo, man? You know, I can understand about the circus because I hate those freaking things. Who wants to go to a circus anyway? But you can't take your kid to the zoo. I mean, that's just crazy. I don't, I don't understand that. Now, of course, I don't work for the government. Now, I, I did used to work for the government. I worked for the government for ten years. Had a top secret clearance. I've stated that on this show before. That's no big surprise if you're a longtime listener of the show. Um, gosh, it's very easy to get a top secret clearance for the government. I will tell you that. Um. But I wasn't doing anything that um, had to do with biochemical warfare. There were no biologic agents, at least not that I'm aware of, around what I was doing. 
Now, can I talk about what I was doing? Some of the things I can talk about certainly wasn't any clandestine secret government operation where I was spying on people or killing people. Wasn't anything that glamorous. But some of the things that I was involved with while I worked for the government, I just really am not at liberty to talk about. But that only encompasses probably about 2% of my time there. The rest of my, the 98% of the time I was there, I can talk about anything and everything. So, but still, the government didn't tell me, well, you can't go to a zoo or you can't go to the grocery store or you can't do this or you can't do that. You know, it just, you can't go here. Uh, I I can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine them being able to realistically um, enforce a rule like that. Um, Like I said, even, even if they, even if they say that and they say, okay, John Smith, you're now an employee of Plum Island Research Facility. You can't go to a zoo, a circus, or a pet store. Um, They can't you know prohibit like the the spouse from going and getting a pet or whatever or they can't keep you from going to your in-laws house or your neighbor's house who has a pet they can't keep you from encountering a pet on the sidewalk as you're sitting in the park with your kid who doesn't have a pet because the government won't allow it they can't keep you from coming into contact with animals so if it's if the job is that hazardous that you can't have contact with animals then that's a big old red flag right there that, well, hell yeah, we can have, the government certainly could have caused, created Lyme disease and a bunch of other nasty stuff too. So that to me, that's got to be some sort of unwritten rule that they have there at the facility because there's no way you can realistically, logically, um, enforce that rule. I just don't see how it's possible because I, I, you know, you can, I guess you, you could put it on paper. Don't go to a zoo, a circus or a pet store, which can't keep someone from coming into contact with animals ever again in the history of their existence. It's just not going to work plain and simple. Well, one thing is sure the terrifying stories about Plum Island are, aren't going to disappear. The victims of Lyme disease demand answers. A skeptical public used to government lies and cover-ups demands answers. The people of Connecticut demand answers. Anyone who's had any doings at all with Plum Island or has anything to do with Lyme disease demand answers as a matter of fact you know another set of people who demand answers the people of Kansas demand answers so stay tuned courageous researchers and scientists are going to keep digging you haven't heard the last of the mysterious place called Plum Island now why did I say that the people of Kansas deserved answers well interesting note also remember when i said uh keep in mind that i was going to address a particular issue towards the end okay we're getting towards the end and i'm going to address said issue all right 
So this is a little interesting note that I found as I was been researching Plum Island. Two and a half years ago, after the federal government decided to close the animal disease research facility at Plum Island, yes, they have decided to close it. Now, this uh, island uh, employs almost 360 people. They decided to, the government decided to close this research laboratory and to use the profits. There's my creepy clock in the background that you can hear. Um, they decided to use the profits from the island's sale to cover the cost of building a new $1.1 billion laboratory in Manhattan, Kansas. That's $1.1 billion with a B in Manhattan, Kansas. So what a tremendously great idea. Let's take an animal biological warfare disease research facility Let's take it from this little safe island that's 10 miles off the coast and let's put it right smack dab in the middle of Kansas, right in the middle of the United States of America. What freaking sense does that make? So, yes, the people of Kansas do deserve answers. As a matter of fact, they demand to have answers. Who, if anyone, will ever be allowed to live on this mysterious plum island after it is vacated um why would you number one but but who if anyone will ever be allowed to live on this island is about to gain renewed focus there's one federal agency that's preparing a final report on plum island's proposed sale and at the same time Long Island officials are considering new zoning laws that will prevent any major development of this property. This island is is 843 acres. Okay, so so Long Island officials are considering new zoning laws that's going to prevent any major development of the 843 acre property should it be sold. And still, others want the government to scrap its plans to sell the property entirely. Now, a few things. Um, I see wrong with this besides what I've already mentioned. You don't why move that facility to some safe island from some safe island off to the middle of the, the the heart of America? Why do that? Number one, number two, let's just say you do it. I mean, the government does what it wants to do, right? So they're going to do it. Who the hell wants to buy this island? It's a freaking bio warfare research facility. There's no telling what all kinds of crap that's over there that's going to be residual. Why would anyone in their right mind want to buy property on this island? What in the hell, people? Why would you want to do that? I don't understand it. I wouldn't, for one, personally speaking for myself, I, for one, wouldn't want to buy property on Plum Island. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't want to stay there in a freaking hotel on a vacation. I don't want to go to Plum Island. There's too much stuff. Who the hell if Lyme disease was developed at Plum Island and escaped, what all the hell over there have they done that we don't know about that hasn't escaped that stayed there? Hmm? Think about With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That for a second whilst I take a drink of my non-alcoholic beverage. So, what... You don't know, I mean, I don't know, I'm just picturing in my head of them, you know, like packing everything up and moving and then like having some sort of, you know, the world's largest bug bomb and setting it off in the middle of the island. Okay, we know we've sterilized it. It's fine. You can live here now. (laughs) You know, I just don't, I, I don't see that. I don't see it being safe. I really don't. Um. It just seems like it's um, too much of a risk. I mean, like I said, I I personally wouldn't even want to go stay there overnight in a hotel room on some sort of vacation or something, yet alone buy property there. And they are actually considering um, vacation homes, uh, making it into some sort of a resort. Um, they're considering, you know, uh, a college or a university setting up shop there. Uh, there's all kinds of buildings and stuff on the site. There's buildings that are there that are crumbling that haven't been used in a while. Now, you know, there have been reporters who have been allowed to go over there. They they opened up in the 90s to, to the public and said, you know, oh, you want to come in and talk about it? You know, you can come in and look and see what I was going on. But the uh, people who were there, of course, they were only taken to predetermined areas, weren't allowed to step off the path of the trail. You know, OK, here's the here's the trail from the dock to the <clears throat> excuse me, to the lab. Don't step off this. Tra- I mean, you know, so it's it was very um, uh, much a dog and pony show in the areas that they were allowed to see. And now. As I stated before, I understand there needs to be some secrets as the government. As long as there's a government, there will be secrets. And, you know, there are things that was going on there that wasn't really the public's business. I don't think that the public has a right to know everything that goes on within our government. I really don't. Um, <clears throat> excuse me again. But I'm kind of I'm kind of digressing. So, it, you know, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, if they had reporters and visitors there and they were only allowed to walk on a certain trail and not step off of the trail and not go to this area or that area besides stuff that they didn't want them to see, what else were they afraid of? If you get my point, because remember if, if, if Lyme disease did originate at Plum Island the ticks got out somewhere and got on the birds. They didn't build a raft. You didn't see the ticks, you know, banding together and building a freaking raft with a little handkerchief for a, a sail and sailing off across the 10-mile stretch of ocean to get to 
to the shores of Connecticut. You didn't see that. So they had to have gotten there on birds. That's the most logical explanation. So wouldn't it also be safe to assume that some ticks that escaped the lab didn't make it off the island? And won't those ticks probably be reproducing? So would that be the reason why they didn't want the reporters to step off of the trail and only walk in certain areas because they knew that this area was safe? So if there are ticks that are still there and that are still on the island out in the the wilds on the island, uh, couldn't those ticks have Lyme disease? So if you're going to sell the island, you're potentially opening yourself up. God, I can just imagine the government selling the island and some real estate tycoon buying it and making a freaking resort. Oh, it's going to be the you know the first all-inclusive resort in the United States of America or whatever. And then all these people come, all the all the workers are getting sick with Lyme disease and shit. People are dying left and right, don't know what's going on. People come, guests are getting sick. You know, oh man, it's just a, that is just a, such a huge risk for anyone. To, anyone that has any sense whatsoever that's just a little bit in their right mind would know that that's a bad deal. I don't care if they sold you the island for a dollar. It's like, look, we will pay you to take the island off our hands. No, uh, no deal. Not going to do it. (laughs) So, (laughs) excuse me. There's been no real estimate on what Plum Island could fetch at an auction. But some um, lawmakers uh, insist it'll barely dent the estimated $1.1 billion with a B dollar cost for the new laboratory in the middle of freaking Kansas. The site where the existing government lab is located, uh, which is on the Plum Island now, and is a structure that resembles a a modern-day college facility, would remain available should a research entity or university want to take it over. The General Services Administration, which is charged with overseeing the sale, has held several public hearings both in New York and Connecticut and issued a final environmental impact statement. Uh, That was in June of last year, which is required for any sale of government land. Um, Now, sometime in the very near future, if it's not already the, the GSA, that's short for the General Services Administration, they will issue a record of decision, which is one of the final steps before the agency proceeds with the sale. Now, I could not find any evidence of the record of decision. It's probably already been released, but you know how the government moves kind of slow, but I, f- I feel pretty sure that it was released before the end of the year last year. Um, now, the report that I said that the GSA uh, issued in June. It's a 500-page long report, and it's been criticized by environmentalists who are dubious that the agency suggested the possibility that residential developments be allowed on the island. Like I said earlier, not necessarily a good idea. Environmental groups on both sides of Long Island Sound have for several years called for the property to be kept as a nature preserve. 
They're concerned that selling the island would jeopardize endangered turn seals and other wildlife. Now, that, I think, is an excellent idea. Keep it as a nature preserve. Just let the buildings go to rot. Don't let anybody out there. We used to test biological stuff here. There could be diseases hanging around. There could be infected ticks and other shit. Don't go there. That's the best thing to do. Don't sell it. Just leave it alone. You're the government. Write it off. You write off all kinds of shit every day. Write it off. Okay? It's just a billion dollars. Add that to the debt. There's plenty of debt to go around. Don't worry about it. But please, for God's sake, whatever you do, do not sell it to someone so they can make a residential area out of it or a resort or a freaking college. If anybody wants to buy it, please let it be someone that's doing some kind of biological research for Christ's sakes. That is one of the most horrible ideas in the history of horrible ideas that our government has had is to, to sell something like that. Because as I keep saying, who knows what the hell else is out there that we don't know about? We can pretty much say with, I'm going to say, 60 to 70% accuracy that Lyme disease came from Plum Island. But we don't know what the hell else is out there. Now, Plum Island, in addition to Lyme disease little interesting side note part two on this is Plum Island has also been accused of manufacturing something called the Montauk Monster, which washed up on the shores of Connecticut, uh, no, no, New York, Montauk, New York, excuse me, uh, back in 2008. Now, if you did any internet surfing back in the summer of 2008, I'm quite sure that you saw a picture of the Montauk Monster. You're like, what in the hell is that? Uh, there's been no official uh, autopsy done on the thing because um, when people went back to uh, get it, the body was mysteriously gone. People who've There's been tons and tons of people who have looked at the, the pictures that were available on the Internet and uh, people have come up with, you know, varying um, explanations as to what it was. Some people say they don't know what the hell it was. And uh, some people say that it was the uh, the body of a raccoon. Now, I saw all the pictures. I'm not seeing how that could have been a raccoon. Um, not saying that it's not. I'm just saying I don't really see how it could have been. The thing had what looked to be like a beak on it. I've never seen a raccoon with a beak, but I've never seen a raccoon in that kind of uh, state of decay either. But I just don't see how that could have been the body of a raccoon. I don't know what the hell it was. Um, why are people saying that it could have come from, from Plum Island? Well, a couple of different reasons. Number one, because they do animal research on that island. And number two, I forgot how far away it is, but it's basically just a hop, skip and a jump away from Montauk, New York. Um, so if it's plausible that Lyme disease developed in old Lyme, Connecticut, which is just a hop, skip and a jump away from Plum Island, it's also feasible to think that some weird freaking creature that they, 
genetically mutated, escaped somehow, and wound up a hop, skip, and a jump further down the road in Montauk, New York. And those are just a couple of the things that um, Plum Island has been accused of doing. I'm sure that there are quite a few others that I have missed. Um, I'm not claiming to be an expert. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm not claiming to be an expert on Plum Island. But the Lyme disease thing and the Montauk monster, those are the two biggies. Now, I'm not going to get a lot into the Montauk monster, um, simply because there's not a lot of information to disseminate. Because there's there's nobody. No one knows what happened to it. There's just pictures and speculation, and that's it. So what else can be said about it that I haven't already said? I mean, it was a weird-looking monster with, like, it, it, it. I don't know if it had fur at one point or not, but what I saw looked like maybe it did at one time. It had, like, blue-looking skin, and it had, like, a beak, and it had hooves. Now, what the hell was this? I don't know. I, I don't see how it was a raccoon. Once again, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not an animal biologist. Don't know. So I'm just going to kind of uh, leave it at the I don't know thing because, well, <clears throat> I don't know. So there, like I said, there's not a lot to say about the Montauk monster. Uh, I know that there is a website dedicated to the Montauk monster. And I think it was um, started up by the person who initially found it, I believe. Um, Let's see if I can pull this up online here. Okay. Ah, yes. Here it is. It is Montauk-Monster.com. That's www.Montauk-Monster.com, the official home of the beast. And Montauk is M-O-N- T-A-U-K, Montauk Monster. And I'm trying to pull it up right here. Of course, the one time that I want my computer to be fast while I'm trying to describe something to you. There we go. Okay, it says the truth, the legend, the mystery, the official Montauk Monster website, news, pictures, and updates. Why would you you want to have an an update? Um, The last thing that I see on here that was... uh, Posted was goes all the way back to November the 13th of 2012, so it's obviously not a very well-maintained website. Let's see. Uh, it says, uh, hi, I'm Nikki Papers. I'm the founder of MontaukMonster.com. I've lived in Suffolk County, New York my entire life. The reason why I'm dedicating my time to provide the world with information on the Montauk Monster is because I was vacationing in Montauk with friends during the week that the beast was discovered. Ah, so it's not the person that discovered the beast, but they were there when the beast was discovered. Okay, well, there's a place for press about... Wow, it's been featured on CNN and Fox, so it's got to be legitimate. And Gray Fuzz, whatever the hell Gray Fuzz is. I don't know. I don't know what the hell Gray Fuzz is. Okay. Anyway, so... 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There you go. You can find out about Montauk Monster by going to montauk monster.com you can find out all about it i would love for there are pictures of it and i'm looking at it and i'm seeing a beast that maybe had hair at uh at one point and has what appears to be hooves and teeth and a freaking beak and some little pointy ears um I don't see how that's a raccoon. I'm just not. I'm I'm not looking. I'm not I'm not able to see how that can be considered a raccoon. I'm sorry. I'm just not not seeing that. But uh, if you'd like to uh, learn a little bit more about the Montauk Monster, maybe you can find out a little bit on Montauk-Monster.com. I'm not going to bore you with by me clicking around on the internet on this freaking show here where you can't see what I'm doing and then trying to tell you what it is that I'm looking at. And I'm not going to read the whole thing off to you. But uh, just do an online search for the Montauk Monster and you'll find all kind of references um, back to Plum Island. And that's the most recent thing that Plum Island has been accused of doing. However, the official stance is that they do animal disease research um, and that they're closing it anyways and moving it to Kansas. So what does it matter? You know, now the diseases will just have an easier method of escaping and getting into our environment and causing harm to us humans and those we love. So uh, <clears throat> that about does it for my spiel on the horrors of Plum Island for this show. Oh, or an hour, just a little over an hour into it. So maybe you guys have, uh, maybe someone that's listening to this has some info about Plum Island that I don't. Maybe you know someone that works there or know someone who knows someone that works there or has had some sort of experience. Or, hell, maybe you've actually seen the Montauk Monster yourself. Or, hell, maybe you've even got Lyme disease. If you... uh Got anything you want to clue me in on about some stuff that I missed on this episode of Parareality Radio, send me an email, sandman at parareality.com. That's P-A-R-A-R-E-A-L-I-T-Y dot com. And uh, we'll see if uh, you can shed some light on some stuff that maybe I missed. 
Now, you can also get in touch with me on my Facebook page. That's Sandman.Parareality on Facebook. Or just uh, leave me a message on the studio line. That's 615-692-1170. Regular long-distance charges may apply. I guess I have to tell you that. So I'm going to take a little break and let you listen to some Muzak. And uh, I'm going to come back and we're going to do the paranormal review. I didn't get to do it last month because uh, my interview with uh, Nick Redfern uh, went on for a while longer than what I was uh, thinking it was going to. But I am not complaining about that. That was a wonderful interview. He is a great guest. Uh, I was like a freaking little kid at Christmas, man, like someone meeting my hero because I have been uh, such a fan of Nick Redfern's for a while. Um, basically for like 10 years. I haven't read all of his books, but I've read some of them. Um, very informed person. love the way he does research. And um, he just seems like an all-around cool dude. And I'm, I'm proud to say that I am now an acquaintance. I'm not a friend, but I'm acquaintance of Mr. Nick Redfern. So if you didn't get to check that show out, go to parareality.com. And click on the Listen to Parareality tab, and you will see the archives for the radio show. Click on the archives, and you'll find it. It's a Nick Redfern interview, and you need to listen to that interview. Um, wonderful interviews, two hours long. You can download it to your computer and put it on your preferred MP3 listening device of your choice. And... Uh, Listen to it whenever, when you're driving in the car, working out, sitting at home, doing nothing, whatever. But it's a great interview. I suggest that you uh, check out my Nick Redfern interview if you didn't already uh, get a chance to. So anyway, like I said, I'm, I'm going to take a quick little break and I'm going to let you listen to some music. I'm going to come back and we're going to do the paranormal review. So uh, I'll be back in a few minutes. Enjoy yourself. Do you feel that? Yeah. 
source for all things paranormal. Join your host Sandman and his roster of special guests, experts, and experiencers as they explore the realms of the known and the unknown. New shows broadcast the first Monday of every month at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Listen online at parareality.com. Turn on, tune in, and find out. was pretty scary, wasn't it? Told you I was going to come up with some sort of theme music for the Paranormal Review, and that is the end result. I like it. I hope you like it, too. It's kind of spooky scary, but, you know, the Paranormal Review itself isn't really all that spooky scary, but, however, this is a paranormal, spooky, scary theme show, so I thought it was appropriate to come up with uh, a spooky, scary, uh, 
little intro for the Paranormal Review. So there you go. So it is Paranormal Review time. This is a new segment that I'm adding to the show. And um, didn't get to do one last show because my uh, interview with Nick Redfern went a little over, which was fine with me. I'm not complaining about that. Trust me. Um, but the, the Paranormal Review, as I said, is a new segment for the show. And basically, it's this. I'm going to take one paranormal-type-themed reality show, and I'm going to uh, review it and give you, the listeners out there, what my opinion is of the show. You may agree with it or you may not. You may think, uh, hey, this is um, a show that I've been meaning to check out. So uh, let me hear what the Sandman has to say about it, and it may help you make up your mind whether or not to you know, watch the series or DVR it or, or whatever. That's what I do with most of these things is I, I DVR them and then watch them in what little spare time that I've got. So the uh, first, very first paranormal review I did was on a killer contact on the sci-fi show or sci-fi channel. And, um, it sucked. Um, that was a very limited run series. I think it was like five or six, um, episodes and however many episodes it it was was too many i mean it was it was horrible i really hope that show doesn't come back in the future because it, it really doesn't need to and if it does it needs to have a whole new cast to it um it was horrible and of course i gave it a horrible review um my second paranormal re review is going to be on the uh curse of oak Island. So here I am. I'm going to break it down. First, I'm going to get a drink here of my tasty non-alcoholic beverage. All right. So here's the plot. Two brothers and their team of friends, family, and co-workers dig around on Oak Island, Nova Scotia, Canada, looking for a legendary buried treasure. By the way, the brothers... Also, just so happened to own about 60% of the island. Don't ask me how they managed to uh, get 60% ownership of an island, but um, apparently one of them is very, very rich, has his own company or his partner has a partnership, then has, you know, halvesies in a company or something like that. Uh, so they managed to buy about 60% of the island somehow. Now, this series stars the brothers, the aforementioned brothers, Rick and Marty Lagina. And they've got a supporting cast of friends, family, and fellow treasure hunters that uh, are regulars on the show. People, Some people make appearances here and there, and some are steady figures on the show. But Rick and Marty Lagina are the two principal main characters of this uh, series. 
And you may hear, I don't know if you can hear. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hear it. But outside the studio window here, it is raining like hell. I thought at first that the the heater or something, the central heat had cut on here in the studio. Because, you know, if if you've heard the show before... Unfortunately, the way the studio is set up, the broadcast desk, there's a, a, um, a vent right over the top of the broadcast desk. And when, it, when the heat or the air cuts on, you can hear it blowing. Um, I thought that's what it was at first, but it's actually raining like hell outside. Wind's blowing and stuff. So it's a cold, windy, rainy, stormy night. Perfect night to do a paranormal-themed radio program. Anyway, getting back here to the paranormal review. So if you hear something outside or if you hear something that sounds like static or a train or something like that here in the background, it's actually raining outside. So anyway, getting back to the paranormal review. So here's my review of this series. You know what a big fan I am of Unsolved Mysteries, so I couldn't help myself but to check out The Curse of Oak Island. And this is a... History Channel series from Prometheus Entertainment, the company that brought you Ancient Aliens. And coincidentally, it's narrated by the same person, Robert Clotworthy. The documentary opens with the video shot last winter as the sizzle reel to get funding for the rest of the show, which was shot months later in the summer. The The episode is atmospheric. A little overproduced. It's full of flying graphics and still shots of magazine articles and loud horror movie music and stuff like that. So we follow the two brothers, Marty and Rick Lagina, the aforementioned brothers, who plan to look for buried treasure on the island. But the show itself doesn't really go into much detail about the story of Oak Island, except for a brief overview at the beginning of the episode in which the uh, brothers give a rather superficial discussion of the many discoveries found on the island. They review uh, several theories of what's buried underneath the the island down there, uh, including the treasure of the Knights Templar, the lost works of Shakespeare, etc., stuff like that. But they don't really spend much time thinking about these things. That's fine as far as I'm concerned because I'm familiar with the Oak Island history. However, for someone who doesn't know much or anything at all about it, that's going to leave them scratching their head wondering exactly why these two dudes are digging random holes all over the place. The brothers plan to dig to see if they can find artifacts that predate 1800 because doing this would suggest that there is a genuine mystery in the island. The brothers announced that they have invested millions of dollars investigating the island, and like I said, uh, they own about 60%. As a matter of fact, uh, 
I, I can't remember which one, but one of them owns a, a corporation that, that actually owns most of the island. And, uh, of course, they're they're hoping to recoup all that millions of dollars that they've spent into it someday. And I guess being paid for a, a TV show was a pretty good start for that. The two appear to be very grounded in reality, and they seem to be interested in investigating an archaeologically sound or at least somewhat responsible way. The island is so full of old excavations that it's really a big mess. It's like a big earthen piece of Swiss cheese. There's so many holes in this place. Interestingly, though, the government of Nova Scotia has designated Oak Island a special archaeological zone that allows treasure hunting with a permit, which is unique in the province. After an inconclusive winter dig, they return for summer digging. And here the narrative becomes the story of the two brothers' excavation. And this is where it can lose interest for viewers who are not huge fans of procedural documentaries where, you know, we watch people do work. Now, I know there's a lot of people who like watching other people do work. Cable TV is full of truckers and lumberjacks and fishers and stuff like that, but it's not everyone's speed. It's not really um, my speed. I don't really like to watch those type of shows, but there is a place for those out there because TV's full of them, right? So as an example of its genre, though, The Curse of Oak Island it's as good as I'd expect. So if you like watching people use machines and dig holes, then you probably had a much better time with this program than most people did. It really seems to be a decent program documenting what genuinely curious investigators are doing to discover the truth about Oak Island. Now, I found the show to be interesting, if not somewhat slow-moving. In the end, the brothers really come up with nothing but more questions about the mystery, and that may, and I say may, be enough to give the series a second season, but I highly doubt it. Regardless, I enjoyed watching this series because, like many others, I'm fascinated with the Oak Island mystery. However, they're just wasn't enough meat on the bones of this series, and I don't really think that it's going to see a second season. Now, Marty Lagina sums up the Oak Island mystery by noting that Oak Island researchers' common denominator is obsession. But Rick Lagina sums up the show by telling Marty that his obsession is entirely because he wants to find the truth, quote, for you for us. So in the end, this really isn't a show about Oak Island. It's a show about brotherly love and male bonding. So what's my rating for The Curse of Oak Island? I still have to come up with some cool ass rating instead of just a zero to five. I think last time I said like, you know, like ghosts or booze or Something like that. I don't know. Maybe screams. That sounds good. 
a zero to five screen rating. Maybe I should do that. I don't know. Anyway, I, as I so often do, I digress. So what do I give? What's my rating for the curse of Oak Island? Well, out of a possible five with five being the best, I give this about a halfway point. I give this about a two and a half. Um, I'm not really big on half giving halves in ratings and stuff. I've always thought you should just stick to the whole numbers, but you know, it's not the best and it's not the worst. It's kind of right there in the middle is very smartly done. I said, maybe it a little bit overproduced. Um, they could have done better, but I've certainly seen a lot worse. And just as someone who is a little, um, versed in the, the mystery of Oak Island, I would have liked to have seen them go a little bit more in depth with the history of the place and the, the mystique and everything that kind of surrounds it. Um, you know, they, they, they hint at it here and there in each episode, but they never really fully, um, exploited that angle of it. I guess that, that the producers of the show really didn't want to go into making this a, a history of Oak Island up until, you know, present day. Although let's face it, this is on the history channel, but Anyway, I, I guess that they didn't want it to turn into something like that. So they kind of focused on the present, the here and now search. And um, they should have, in my opinion, I think it would have made it better if they would have gone a little bit more into the backstory about the history of Oak Island. I mean, even they didn't even delve, delve too much into why the two brothers are so interested um other than uh, Marty, which is the older one, and Rick is the younger one. Um, I believe that's that's how it goes. And Rick is the one with all the money, and Marty's like the retired mail carrier. Um, but uh, it, it, they didn't didn't really go too much in depth on how the two of them got so hooked up in this Oak Island thing, other than to say that uh, Marty read a. a a magazine article like Reader's Digest or, or something like that when he was a kid and became fascinated with it and has been fascinated with it ever since. And Rick was like, well, you're my brother and you want to dig for buried treasure and I have all this money, so I'll finance it for you. You know, I, that's about as far into it as they went. It would have been nice to have gone a little bit further into exactly why it's so fascinating for Marty and Rick. And there goes the rain again. It's falling on my head like a memory. Just kidding. It, 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 you're 80s if you picked up on what song that was from. So if you're, if you're hearing stuff that sounds like static or anything or a train, once again, that is the extreme weather that's going on outside of the studio window here. This is a very sensitive microphone, so I don't know if you're going to be able to pick this, pick that up and hear it or not. So it's not static. There's nothing wrong. It is 
a rainstorm on a cold, windy evening here in Nashville, Tennessee. Perfect for paranormal-themed radio shows such as this one. So anyway, um, I, th- I wish they would have gone a little bit more into the backstory. But uh, I do think that it is worth watching. Uh, it was a very limited run series. Once again, they only had uh, like six episodes or something of that nature. Very limited. Maybe it was eight. Um, but it, was, it, it wasn't that many. And obviously not enough episodes for them to go into backstories and everything is, is probably is, is what they could have had if it would have been like a 13 run series um, or 13 episode run series. So will we see it again? Probably not. I, I don't think it's going to pique enough people's interest for them to, uh, to run it again. Although I would like for them to, because they, they did find, you know, like one interesting Thing, if you had to look back at, at everything and say, what did they did they find anything interesting? Not really. They did find a coin uh, that was pre eighteen hundred, and that's about it. So really, nothing major. Um, however, I enjoyed watching the way that these two guys were going about digging for it. It wasn't just a couple of yahoos with some shovels. And a bunch of friends, and we gonna go out. We gonna dig some holes and find some gold. Woohoo! You know, I mean, it was very uh, well thought out, very well planned in the whole search. So I give it a two and a half out of five. And I'm, I'm, I will the next time I'm on the air, the next episode, I will have some sort of a rating system besides zero to five. I promise I'm gonna do it, and um, I will debut it on the next episode of Parareality Radio. Now, I've got um, half an hour left in the show. And I kind of cut things a little bit short because I wanted to discuss um, this phone call that I got. So I'm going to take the last uh, 30 minutes of the the hour here and discuss this phone call that I got. Actually, it wasn't an actual phone call. It was a message left on my voicemail. Um, you know that every show that I do, I always say, okay, here are all the ways that you can get in contact with me. And I list, uh, I, I, I'm not doing anymore, but I used to list, you know, my IMs and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I definitely always give the website. I always give my email address. And back from when I used to do nothing but live radio, I had a studio line. And I've still got that studio line. So I still give out the number at the beginning of each show and at the end of each episode of Pair Reality Radio. And, you know, I always say, call at any time because you never know when I'm going to be in the studio working on the show here, putting together the next episode, uh, trying to book a guest or something of that nature. So call whenever, 24-7, 365, because you never know when I'm going to be in the studio. And if I'm not in the studio... 
leave a message. That's why I have vo the voicemail. Leave a message and uh, let me know what your comment is or whatever, and I may play it back on the show. I always tell everybody that. Well, I never really get any takers. No one ever calls. The few times that I have had calls, no one's ever left a message. I guess they, they want to specifically talk to me. And I get, I mean, I don't get flooded with phone calls or anything like that, but I do get the occasional call into the studio line. And unfortunately, I've never been here when anyone is called. Um, but those few that have never leave a message. It's always a hang-up type deal. So the other day, just a, a, a few days ago, I got, I finally got my first person to leave a message on the voicemail and I got to say um, is it kind of kind of threw me back a little bit it's um, it's a very short message um, obviously from a person who has gone through great lengths to disguise his voice so it will not be recognized and um, he left me a message and I'm going to play it back for everybody um, because I always said that's what I was going to do so that's what I'm going to do now this guy did not leave his name he identified himself only as citizen X went through great lengths, as I said, to disguise his voice so it would not be recognized. And the gist of his message was basically um, he has listened to obviously some episodes of Periality Radio. And um, he's even, I'm going to assume, he did not say this, I'm just going to take it on upon myself to assume that he has watched the uh, very, very short-lived internet television show that I tried to do, which was horrible, by the way. If I was going to give that a rating, I would probably give it a, a, a one. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say that I, it, it sucked. I tried to do it by myself like I do this radio show with no crew and uh, basically no studio, and it really didn't work out that good. Um so if there's anyone out there that's in the Nashville, Tennessee, that's listen area that's listening to this broadcast and you've got some experience with producing video or hell, maybe you just want to have a fun time and you've got a place where we can set up a studio. I've got the equipment. I just need a camera operator and I need a location. So if you can provide one or both of those things, let me know and we may bring back the pair reality television series on the internet. So uh, anyway, um, I, I, I'm assuming this guy has watched some of the video that I did. Um, and it, I have been, I've done several um shows on chemtrails and uh <clears throat> excuse me 
one of the episodes that I did on Pair Reality, the, the television version, was about chemtrails. It was one of my better episodes, as a matter of fact. Um, so apparently this guy has heard some of the stuff that I've done on chemtrails and seen the video that I did on chemtrails and took it upon himself to give me a call and leave a, a voice message. Now, this is obviously someone who is a uh, chemtrail conspiracy theorist. I, I don't know what else to, to call us. Trailheads is uh, kind. Of, that's kind of what I call myself. Um, because I, I'm I'm not a. You've heard me say it. I think even on on this episode here earlier. And I'm not a big person of uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, however, this is one time where. I will have to say that I think there is some sort of conspiracy theory. I think there is something going on with the chemtrail issue that somebody, whether it's the government or some other entity, you know, doesn't want us, the American people to know about. I think there's something to it. And this guy, this citizen X is apparently of the same mindset as I am. So he left me this message on my voicemail and I'm going to play this thing back. It is unedited. Now, you will hear at the beginning, you will hear a beep. That beep is part of my recording equipment. Um, unfortunately, the way that this phone is, I can't record from the phone directly to a hard drive on a computer or anything because I it, it's the, the jack sizes are not compatible and stuff. So what I had to do was basically put it on speakerphone and record it onto the hard drive. So what you will hear is basically a recording of a recording, but the sound quality is still really good. The man calls himself Citizen X, and this is unedited, um, and this is the message in its entirety. So listen close, and I'm going to play it back for you right now. You may call me Citizen X. I've listened to what you have to say about chemtrails, and I want you to know that you're on the right track, but you must look deeper. Chemtrails are responsible for environmental damage occurring to our planet through aerial distribution of toxic metals into the atmosphere. These are not persistent contrails. Agenda 21 is being enacted. Keep paying attention to the skies. Expose the truth. I will be in touch with you again. So that's kind of eerie, creepy, isn't it? Um, so he says that I'm on the right track on my chemtrail theory, that it is some sort of government cover-up. And uh, he likes what I've done so far, apparently. And Agenda 21 is being enacted, I believe is what he said. Um, so I'm only vaguely familiar with Agenda 21. Um, <clears throat> and to be honest with you, since I got to this message between then and now, I haven't 
been able to devote the time to look up a lot of stuff about Agenda 21. What I do know about it, and is very, very tip of the iceberg, I'm sure there's tons of people out there who know way more about it than I do. Uh, Agenda 21 is some sort of UN um, sanction or UN uh, plan that has to do with the thinning out of uh, the world population or something like that. Um, I I could be a little bit off, but I do know it is a, a plan that the United Nations has. Um, people who are in the, uh, the know in chemtrails, people who are, are, are like myself, who are, um, believers in the chemtrails, um, they know about agenda 21. Now being a, a trailhead, as I call myself, I, I, uh, probably would be laughed and ridiculed by the rest of the the chemtrail community for not being able to recite exactly everything that agenda 21 is. Um, However, like I said, I'm, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. uh, So I haven't devoted um, hours upon hours of my life studying chemtrails like some of these other people have. Now, have I devoted some time to studying it? Yes. Um, I first became interested in chemtrails back in the early 2000s when I was researching uh, material for an episode of this show. And um, I've been kind of interested in them off and on ever since. Um, But I I, I don't devote... um, you know, a f- not barely even a fraction of my life towards um, studying the chemtrail phenomenon. But however, maybe I should devote more time to it. According to this guy, I'm on the right track. Uh, so maybe I need to um, step up my study of chemtrails. Um. So he says Agenda 21 is is being enacted, and uh, I need to, per his advice, keep watching the skies and expose the truth. So um, he's supposed to contact me again. So I will, uh, Mr. Citizen X, whoever you are, if you happen to be listening to this episode of Parareality Radio, um you know how to get in touch with me, obviously. Um, please uh, call me back, email me. Um, I give out my, my contact information at the top of every episode and again at the bottom of every episode. So here in just a few minutes, you're going to have contact information for me. Um, if there's anybody out there who um, has any idea who maybe the citizen X person is, if the voice sounded familiar, I don't know. I mean, he, he obviously went through some, some, some pains to disguise his voice. So I, I know that there isn't anyone out there that's going to have any clue who this guy is or that's going to recognize his voice. I don't even know why I said that, but, uh, I, I really would like to hear from you again. Um, maybe if you know some stuff that I don't, um, why don't you, um, 
have a conversation with me about it. Maybe we can get you on the show and we can talk about it on the show. Um, you don't even have to uh, come to the studio. We can do it uh, over the phone. Hell, you can call me. Uh, the, the, by the way, the number that this guy called me from, of course, you know, everyone's got caller ID. So that's the first thing you do is you look at the number. You look at the caller ID. Well, guess what? Blocked. That's exactly what it says. Blocked. So um, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where to begin to, to look for this. I'm, I'm sure I could probably call, you know, the phone company or whatever. Uh, but but unfortunately, um, my studio line is Skype. So I don't know. There's probably absolutely no way to find out where this phone call originated from at all. However, um, I would like to hear from you again, Citizen X. And I would like to know... Uh, what it is that you know, why you think I'm on the right track, why you like my work, because I haven't really done a whole hell of a lot of it. But if you like what I have to say, um, if you think I'm doing good, let me know uh, why. Um, I would like to know what it is that you know that I don't. Uh, why are you calling me and leaving these cryptic messages on my voicemail? Uh, you know, why aren't you doing something about it. Hell, maybe you are. Maybe he's one of the, the chemtrail dudes that has runs a, a website or something. Uh, I don't know. Very interesting stuff from Citizen X. Um, not a whole lot to tell you about it. Uh, that was the message in its entirety. And as a matter of fact, I, I'm going to play it for you one more time right here. So hang on. Here is the message in its entirety again. It's only like 10 seconds long. So I'm going to play it back and let you listen to it one more time. Oh, Sandman. You may call me Citizen X. I've listened to what you have to say about chemtrails, and I want you to know that you're on the right track, but you must look deeper. Chemtrails are responsible for environmental damage occurring to our planet through aerial distribution of toxic metals into the atmosphere. These are not persistent contrails. Agenda 21 is being enacted. Keep paying attention to the skies. Expose the truth. I will be in touch with you again. So there we go. Citizen X proclaiming that I'm on the right track. I need to keep watching the skies and expose the truth. And that chemtrails are causing environmental damage to our planet by having toxins sprayed in the air. So, um, there you go. Um, he says he'll be contacting me again in the future. So we shall see if Mr. Citizen X calls me one more time, or if this was a one-off, a fluke, or hell, for all I know, this could be some crackpot playing some kind of a sick practical joke. I don't know, you know, but is it, is it interesting enough for me to put it on this episode of Parareality Radio? Hell yes, it is. So there it is, Citizen X. Um, I'll keep you guys updated as to uh, what happens with Mr. Citizen X out there. And uh, I'm going to um, post that audio clip uh, on my Facebook page. 
So you can go and, and listen to it um, instead of having to download this show and try to fast forward through the whole, you know, hour and 45 minutes or whatever that it takes to, to hear it. So it will be available on my Facebook page whenever you get uh, after, after this show um, makes its appearance, I'll have it up in a couple of days on my Facebook page. So, um, yep, there we go. Um, that about does it for this episode of Parareality Radio. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by uh, sending an email to sandman at parareality.com. That's my email address. Once again, that's sandman at parareality.com. And also, please remember to visit my uh, website, which is www.parareality.com. That's where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to the current and past episodes if you uh, from the uh, website. If you just click on the Listen to Parareality tab, and if you click on the Extras tab, you can join the official Parareality Radio Forum. It's free to join. You can also shop in the Parareality Radio Store and even watch some show videos and other stuff. Now, I've, I've got uh, not just the video from my old um, Parareality Internet show, but I've also got some other um, videos posted uh, about the show, um, paranormal stuff that I find interesting. There's only a couple of videos on there, um, and that's from my YouTube page. Um, but I'm not really promoting my YouTube thing, but if you want to uh, look at all the videos that I have on my YouTube page, just go to YouTube and search for Parareality1, and that's the number one. There's no underscore or dash or anything like that. It's Parareality1 uh, on YouTube, and you can see all the videos that I've got posted there. Um, as far as the Parareality Radio Shop, the Parareality Radio Store goes, um, I use... Any and all monies from that that gets pumped right back into helping me produce the show, I do not make money off of that. So please, if you enjoy Parareality Radio, help me keep this show going. Please help me support the show by shopping in the Parareality Radio store. I've got, um, you name it, I've got it. All kinds of clothing articles, t-shirts, polos, jackets, hats, sleep sets, underwear, for both men and women, uh, mugs, calendars, um, you name it. So coasters. <laughs> so, uh, I'm trying to, to, uh, pump all monies. I'm not trying. I am pumping all monies that I make from the, uh, Parareality radio store right back into producing Parareality radio itself. And, uh, <clears throat> you can also look me up on Facebook, that's Sandman.Parareality on Facebook. You can hear, you can listen to the show from there as well, and you can find out a little bit more about what's going on in the world of Parareality. So those are all the ways you can get in touch with me. Um, sandman at Parareality.com. Go to Parareality.com, the website. Um, Facebook. Sandman.parareality. You can also call 
the studio line at 615-692-1170 and leave a message. Just be aware that I may play your comment back on the show if I'm not there to answer it. That number, once again, is area code 615, then dial 692-1170. And uh, by the way, if you are in the Nashville area and you want to help me get Reality back on Internet TV and you've got a uh, um, place to set up studio or if you want to be the cameraman or maybe both, let me know. I just gave you all the ways you can get in touch with me. Email me, sandman at com. Let me know because we may, if I can get some interest, hell, we may just try to make another run at um, Reality, the TV show. So you never know, right? And uh, Citizen X, hit me up again. Email me, call me, whatever. And... Uh, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. Love to try to get you on the show if you have some information that you think I may be interested in. If you know something that I don't, um, don't know. I'm. I'm not really for sure. I don't think that I'll ever hear from that guy again. It's probably uh, some one-off. Maybe somebody got drunk, or maybe someone's playing some sort of a practical joke, or or whatever. I just really. I'm thinking I'm not going to hear from that guy again. Excuse me. <clears throat> oh, I'm getting dry. Let me take another swallow of my tasty non-alcoholic beverage here. And before I sign off, I would like to give a uh, special shout out to a friend of mine. Um, her name is Jen Mitchell. She's from um, Rockgasms. She has a, a syndicated radio show called Rockgasm. She, she actually has two. She has one called Rockgasms where you, she plays a bunch of your favorite songs from the 80s, rock and roll, rocking it out, hair metal, 80s stuff. And she also has another show that's called 80s Gasm where she interviews the bands that you grew up listening to in the 80s. Her name is Jen Mitchell. Uh, check her out on Pure Steel Communications with uh, Rockgasms. I want to give a special shout out to Jen and say thank you very much, Jen Mitchell. She uh, and I had a phone conversation earlier in the week, and she gave me some very, very good advice. And so far, so good, Jen, if you happen to be listening to this show. So thank you very much for your advice. It really is helping me out, and I appreciate it. All right, everybody, that is wrapping up Hair Reality Radio. My next episode will be available on Monday, April the 7th, 2014. So please make sure you turn on Tune In and find out. I hope that this radio program opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way that you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Reality Radio. Once again, let me know what you thought about it. Send me an email, sandman at parareality.com. Check me out on Facebook. Go to Facebook and look up sandman.parareality.
reality. You can also check it out, parareality.com. You can call me on the studio lines. That's area code 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is 615-692-1170. And in case you're wondering why I keep giving this contact info out so much is because I really want Citizen X, whoever Citizen X is, to contact me again and let me know what in the world is a going on with you, sir. Well, I'm ending the show. Gosh, I've got uh, five minutes left. And um, I've only got about three and a half minutes worth of a song. So i got to fill up some time here. So, um, yeah, I'm totally talked out. i got nothing left. So um, that's it. I hope you have a wonderful evening, everybody. I'll see you again next month on Monday, April the 7th, 2014. Don't have a topic as of yet. I hope to have a special in-studio guest. Um, I'm working on that. And and by the way, uh, I got an email um, the other day. Someone asked me the question, uh, said, uh, hey, um, you said you were going to have an occasional co-host on the show. What's up with that? Who's it going to be? Is it anyone we know? Blah, blah, blah. Well, um, I got a little bit uh, too zealous on that when I made that announcement that I was going to have co-hosts on the show. Um, that's not happening. Couldn't work a deal out with this person. And it was nobody famous. No one that anybody knows. Uh, it was just a, a another paranormal enthusiast that had uh, said, hey, I want to uh, help you out with your show, and uh, we had talked about doing some some guest host co-hosting and, and stuff, and um, um, it's just unfortunately it's just not going to work out. So um, no co-hosts on Pair Reality Radio. It's just going to be me from now on. All right, that does it. We'll see you again April the seventh, twenty fourteen. I'm Sandman, and this is The Fix with Sandbox.